Welcome to Media Tribe, the podcast that's on a mission to restore faith in journalism. I'm Shauna Kinnair, an award-winning journalist with over 10 years of experience working for some of the biggest news outlets in the industry. Every week, I'm going to introduce you to some of the world's most respected journalists, filmmakers and media executives, and you're going to hear the story behind the storyteller. You'll get a sense of the integrity and hard graft that's involved in journalism, and hopefully you'll go away feeling that this craft is worth valuing. This Spotlight episode is part of the Media Tribe's mission to have upfront and honest conversations about some of the most critical topics in our field. Unfortunately, three weeks later, when I was in Los Angeles meeting with a high-ranking PR executive, he assaulted me in his car and basically took my neck in his hand and forced my head into his crotch, and I, I couldn't breathe. And again, I managed to escape. On July 6, 2016, Gretchen Carlson publicly brought allegations against Roger Ailes, the CEO of Fox News, alleging pervasive sexual harassment. She toppled an empire, encouraging other Fox News women to come forward about their experiences of sexual harassment involving Ailes, and she paved the way for the Me Too movement, which didn't go mainstream until 2017. Gretchen now runs a nonprofit called Lift Our Voices. She's a special contributor for People, the TV show, and she also hosts a daily podcast called Get the News with Gretchen Carlson, which you should all definitely tune into. Gretchen Carlson, welcome to the Media Tribe. Thanks for having me. It's so lovely to kind of meet you in person, Gretchen. I wonder if you could tell me who Gretchen Carlson was before that 6th of July date in 2016. I was a mother. I was a successful journalist who had clawed my way to the top of the industry. I was a former classical violinist. I was a graduate of Stanford University. I also studied at Oxford University. Um, yeah, that's that's who I was. I was a philanthropist. Um, yeah, there were there was a long list of things that were on my resume, never expecting to <laughs> add poster child for sexual harassment in the workplace onto that. But you know, that's not something you really aspire to, but it's something that ended up happening in my life. And you, I mean, it's worth noting that um, you were Miss America. Um, oh, yeah. And also you, you, you worked as a journalist with CBS, I believe, before you moved to Fox News. Wasn't that right? I did. I worked at CBS for five years. I was hired as a correspondent. I traveled the world doing stories. And then I was promoted to do the Saturday morning early show, which was always my goal to do a, a morning national television show. And before that, I spent 20 years in the trenches. I you know, moved all across the United States to different local cities and local markets, really working my way up. So who is Gretchen after that date? Can you kind of tell me about your life since you made those public allegations against the CEO of Fox News? Well, I would say that the constant is that I've always been a hard worker. And so that really kicked in no matter uh, before July 6, 2016 or after. I've always been a, a gutsy, competitive person. And that really helped me a lot in making the decision to, to go ahead with that. Uh, but I would say that I've added a lot of other new things to my resume. I'm now a massive advocate for changing laws in our country and uh, speaking out on behalf of women. That's really become my mission in life. Although I still have all of the other things under my belt as well. I'm still a journalist. 
I just signed a new deal to do a people television show. Um, and I just started a daily news podcast and, uh, you know, and I'm still a mom. <laughs> so um, all of those things are still the same. I think the constant is the hard work and dedication that I've always put into everything that I do in my life and realizing that sexual harassment in the workplace was a pervasive epidemic, not only in the United States, but across the world, and that I was going to do everything in my power to change that. Right. So I am going to read a few lines from the lawsuit, Gretchen. Um, And these are from recordings that you made of encounters you had with Roger Ailes. So I'm quoting directly from your lawsuit, and this is Roger speaking. I think you and I should have had a sexual relationship a long time ago, and then you'd be good and better, and I'd be good and better. And he added that sometimes problems are easier to solve that way. Uh, He also called you a man-hater and killer uh, and said you needed to get along with the boys. And then he ogled you in his office and asked you to turn around so he could view your posterior. Gretchen, what can you tell me about those? Nothing. (laughs) I mean, um, you know, it's public knowledge because my lawyers figured out a very crafty, strategic way of making my case public. But it never should have been public because of the ways in which companies uh, make women be silenced on these issues. And uh, that's exactly what I'm trying to fight for now. Not necessarily so that I can tell you all the nitty gritty details about my 11 years at Fox, although that would be nice. Um, It's really for the millions of women and men out there who are also muzzled through these types of actions and don't have the same platform or resources that I may have had or still do have to be able to make these kinds of changes. Those are the people that I'm working for. So ultimately, Gretchen, you signed an NDA, which is a non-disclosure agreement. And in layman terms, it's a gagging order. You were silenced. Do you regret signing that? Of course. But you have to remember that hindsight is always twenty twenty. Uh, when I signed this agreement four years ago, my settlement agreement was progressive for its time. It it was progressive in the sense that the most important thing was that I got a public apology. That never happened because some people would equate a public apology to an admittance of guilt. And so companies never, ever do that. So that in and of itself was the most important thing that I asked for and received. I was also given the opportunity to speak about the issue of sexual harassment, which I've taken full advantage of in trying to pass legislation in the United States um, and speaking all over the world about this issue. Um, that Those two things were, were monumental. Had I known that my actions were going to help spark a cultural revolution and lead to the Me Too movement and to an, an international discussion about harassment in the workplace, I would have fought tooth and nail to not sign that non-disclosure. But at the time, well, first of all, I didn't even know it was going to happen the next minute, much less the next day. So how could I have known that this revolution would have happened? And how could I have known that the next phase of that revolution is to make sure that women and men no longer have to sign NDAs? That's where we are now. But I there was no way I could have known that when I did what I did. 
Well, when you did what you did, you were the first person, as you say, Gretchen, to jump off the cliff. You really took the bull by the horns and took a huge risk. Um, and I'm aware that many people kind of, you know, colleagues, ex-colleagues did turn their back on you and supported Roger Ailes. And, you know, people were saying nasty things about you at the time, you know, oh, she's in it for the money or the fame, which is completely outlandish. Um, how did that make you feel? Yeah, um, it's the number one thing my lawyers told me to expect. You know, they said, you will definitely be maligned. This is what happens to women. And isn't that sad? I mean, isn't that sad that that was just going to be a given? I mean, that's really pathetic that we ch- we've decided to treat women that way in culture for doing nothing wrong, by the way, simply having the courage to come forward. So I was prepared. I, I would also say that after being in the news business for almost 30 years at that point, that, come on, women get get a far worse shake in the whole thing than men do with regard to people commenting, especially with the, with the invention of social media, about your appearance and your hair and the clothes you wear and how fat you are and, you know, all of that. So I had developed a very thick skin from just being in the business. But I will say that, you know, that never feels good. Um, my paramount concern was actually my children. Um, I really didn't give a damn what anyone thought about me or said about me. I still don't. Um, I really was concerned about how that may rub off on my children. And and so that was my paramount concern. Absolutely. Um, and when you did come forward, many, many other women from Fox also came forward with the exact same allegations. I think it was something like two dozen. So you know, that must have felt good um, at the time. I guess it was it was nearly affirmation or, you know, just something that you could say, I haven't in any way imagined this. You know, I ha- you know, can you talk to us about that, Gretchen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways in which we keep women back on this issue is that we make them feel like they're all alone. That's what these silencing mechanisms do. You you're made to feel like it's not happening to anyone else. You're also made to feel like you're crazy because they gaslight you. You know, they they make you feel like um, like you're making it up and that it's really not that bad and you should just be able to tolerate it and handle it. So, again, totally unexpected that the parent company of Fox, 21st Century Fox at the time, decided to start an investigation. I mean, I remember when we heard that it was on the very same day we filed the lawsuit. My attorneys, uh, they were stunned because that usually did not happen. You know, of course, they also put out a statement that they supported their their men who worked there. And, you know, but they also said they were going to do an investigation. And that was that was huge. And and I just know how much courage it took for these other women to come forward because it's scary. It's really, really scary to come forward. I had heard through the grapevine that uh, some of them only even told 15 to 20 percent of what had happened to them. And and that was enough. Um, so I will forever be grateful to the other women who, who joined my solidarity and, and said, me too, you know, it made, it made a huge difference. And two weeks, just two weeks after I filed my lawsuit, my perpetrator, alleged perpetrator was fired. And I mean, I remember having conversations with my lawyers where they said that's never going to happen. I mean, pre-filing the case, you know, the company will do everything to protect him because that's just the way the old school way that it's always worked. And um, so those women made a difference. 
Well, good for you, Gretchen. And what you did by having that courage, you paved the way for many, many other accusers to come forward. I mean, I'm thinking about Harvey Weinstein in particular. So your your lawsuit was in 2016. So this was this really was pre Me Too revolution. And and I think you know you you shaped and helped mold the revolution that was to come. Was was Fox News the first time that you'd experienced sexual harassment in the workplace? Unfortunately, no. Uh, you know, but here's what I found out. It's a pervasive epidemic. I didn't even know that when I decided to sue. Um, it crosses every socioeconomic line, every profession. Um, it's really quite outrageous. Um, and um, every almost every woman has a story, which is triply sad. <laughs> I mean... The idea that we've all had to endure this. So yes, I had, I had faced this not at every job. I had some amazing bosses, men and women, but I was assaulted twice when I was Miss America, actually, and I was trying to be a go-getter and uh, try and break into the television industry while I still had uh, some name recognition from that year. And I met with some high-level executives, and both of them uh, assaulted me in a car. And not at the same time. Unfortunately, it was two separate incidents. But um, in one case, this this high-ranking television executive had spent all day with me, helping me, making cold calls for me. And I thought, wow, he really respects how smart I am. And he thinks I have a future in this business. And then we went out to dinner and we were in the back of a car service going back to my friend's apartment in New York City. He was suddenly on top of me and uh, sticking his tongue down my throat. And I, it was just this horrendous, awful feeling of, wow, this guy has absolutely no respect for me. And by the way, what the hell is his tongue doing down my throat? And I tried to escape from him in a panic and of course, burst into tears when I got up to my friend's apartment, didn't really tell her what had happened because that's what we do. And I carried that with me for 25 years before I ever told anyone. Unfortunately, three weeks later, when I was in Los Angeles meeting with a high-ranking PR executive, again, just trying to break into the business, and he assaulted me in his car and, and basically took my neck in his hand and forced my head into his crotch, and I, I couldn't breathe. And again, I managed to escape. Um, so these two experiences in a short period of time, I was 22 years old, um, somehow I still... <laughs> wanted to go into the business. And somehow I still kept fighting. But I think the biggest lesson from that is that two things, I didn't tell anyone ever until I wrote my first memoir 25 years later. And I never even realized that those two situations were actually assault until I was writing my second book after my lawsuit. And I was interviewing one of the Trump accusers. And she said to me, you realize your stories are assault, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, Gretchen, that's assault when somebody attacks your body. And so it made me realize that as women were socialized to do so many horrible things like stuff things deep down inside of us and never tell anyone about these horrible things that happened to us, but also not acknowledge even to ourselves what we've experienced. And so it took me to being more than 50 years old to call those episodes in my life assault. Um, so, so there's that. And then in the workplace, uh, on my very first job, my first assignment was to cover the Anita Hill hearings, which of course were 
huge sexual harassment hearings on the Hill. And I was promptly sexually harassed on the job right after that. And uh, so that, again, was I, I might have been still 22, maybe 23 years old, I'm scared for my life out in a rural part of the state of Virginia with just my photographer and myself. And he was saying very lewd things to me. And again, I didn't want to tell anyone, but I was so shaken when I got back into the newsroom that my boss, actually a man, kept coming up to me and saying, what's wrong, Gretchen? What's wrong? And I finally broke down and told him. And to this day, I credit that male boss for caring enough to really want to know what happened to me and for comforting me in a really you know, difficult time. I then went on for many years and worked in many other cities and never had any terrible experiences, you know, all the way until I got to Fox News in 2005. So that particular cameraman, as far as I know, Gretchen, he was putting a microphone up your top and, and on his way had a, he, he touched your breasts. That, that's what I have, um, that was what has been reported, I believe. And did, did, I mean, when you did report him, did anything happen? Well, I, of course, said at the time, I don't want anything to happen to him. Because again, you know, even back then, as a cub reporter, I figured this isn't going to be good for me. (laughs) Right. I mean, this isn't going to end well for me in my first job. And this is the fear that all women go through, especially when they're young. You know, they they fear the consequences, unfortunately, of the bad things that are going to happen to them instead of to the perpetrator. And so I I made my boss promise that he would not fire this guy over my allegations. And the the guy was eventually fired. I guess they had a laundry list of other issues. So it made me comfortable to know that he wasn't working there anymore. And it also made me comfortable to know that I was not the sole, the sole reason for that. Um, you know, these are things that I'm trying to change now is fixing this is a complicated web. It's, there's not just a silver bullet solution. And just in the very few things we've talked about thus far, you can see that there's, there's so much wrapped into it as far as trying to, to make it better from emotions to courage, to changing the way that we perceive this in the workplace to the laws. You know, there's just so many different things that all have to happen sort of at the same time to be able to eradicate it. Absolutely. Um, and, and one thing um, I also read about your time at Fox News, I'm not sure if you are allowed to talk about this, Gretchen, but it feels like there was a sense that, you know, a lot of the women anchors there, like yourself, were sexualized in a way and you weren't allowed to wear pants. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> well, I sort of let the cat out of the bag and it wasn't even on purpose. I, <laughs> I actually can chuckle about it now because I, I do think it's kind of funny the way it happened. So I was in between shows. I had done the morning show Fox and Friends for, you know, seven or eight years. And then when when they made it seem like I was being promoted to go and get my own show in the afternoon, uh, which you can read in my lawsuit how that all played out. But I had this sort of time off period when we were creating a new show and I was still going into to, to work. I just wasn't on the air at the time, but I was doing a Friends radio show at Fox. And he also happened to videotape it. And so when I walked in to do the radio show, he said, oh, my God, you're wearing pants. <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, well, I've never seen you wear pants. And I said, well, that's because, you know, we can't wear pants at Fox. And 
And I mean, I just said it because it was just like, I wasn't trying to get anyone in trouble or anything. Well, <laughs> some, some reporter was listening or watching this podcast or radio show. And so they wrote about it. And then that created, let me tell you, that created a big firestorm on the inside because they, they were like, you weren't serious about that, were you? <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I was thinking to myself, it's true, but you know, so I thought it was, I thought it was uh, fascinating when I watched the movie Bombshell, which of course I couldn't participate in all. I, I laughed out loud when the day after I filed my lawsuit, I have no idea if this is true or not, but one of the women was meeting with the stylist and she said, I need pants for tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. It just made me crack up because you got to laugh about a lot of things that would otherwise make you cry, right? Exactly. Well, actually, you've just you've just brought brought up the exact um, question I wanted to ask you next. How did it feel watching Nicole Kidman of all people play you in Bombshell? And as you say, Gretchen, you had no, you were not allowed to take part in in the film. You weren't even allowed to verify if accounts were true, if they were, you know, accurately portraying you and what had happened, both in Bombshell and in The Loudest Voice, where Naomi Watts, of course, played you. Um, how did that feel? And I and I believe Gretchen, you watched it with your kids. Well, um, I didn't let my son watch The Loudest Voice. That was a, a, min, a Showtime miniseries. So it was eight episodes. Basically, the last four are specifically about, you know, what, what happened to me there. And uh, it was pretty raw. Uh, so I didn't, my son was was too young to take that in. Uh, my daughter did did watch that. But yes, uh, for the movie Bombshell, we went on incognito to the movie theater because Obviously, that would have been really weird if people found out that I was in the, the movie theater. And uh, I had on this this baseball cap called, and it said women rule on it. And then I put a hoodie over it. And both my kids were like, Mom, everyone's <laughs> going to know it's you with that woman rule hat on. And I was like, they are not. But OK, I'll take it off, even though I believe in it. Um, and so the, my kids, I said to them, you guys, you can't say anything in the movie theater because nobody can know that we're in here. And of course. They violated all the rules because the minute their characters came up on the screen, they were like, oh, my God, that doesn't look anything like me. And I'm like, shh. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. But they they were cute. Um, but, yeah, I can't tell you anything about um, the portrayal of me. I can't say if it's accurate. I can't say if there were 10,000 other things they should have really put in. I can't say if any of the other characters and the way they depicted them um, is accurate. But. I, I look at it in a positive way because, first of all, the idea that Naomi Watts and Nicole Kidman would even think about playing the character of Gretchen Carlson is a surreal experience. And, and it, actresses of that caliber to take on roles that are so culturally important like this, we would have never been doing movies about sexual harassment just four years ago. So the idea that they thought it was also important was was wonderful to me. And, and if it if this movie and, and the miniseries encouraged even just a couple other women to find the courage to come forward, then these productions have been worth it to me, even, even though I can't partake in them. I think they've been incredibly beneficial you know, to the movement. Extraordinary. Well, I kind of want to talk, Gretchen, more, more largely about this story as opposed to your story specifically. And I know a lot of women came forward to you from all walks of life and various different industries alleging sexual harassment as well. So I believe one in three women say they have been sexually harassed in the workplace and something like 71% of women never report it. Mm. 
Yeah, so the numbers are way higher than that because if 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 one in three actually report it or admit to it, then and you say seventy one percent, you know, don't say anything. I can just tell you, you know, unscientifically, but I can tell you from all the thousands and thousands of women who've reached out to me that the numbers are much higher than that. And and when I speak in front of huge audiences pre COVID. Uh, and I and I ask for people to raise their hands if they've ever had an experience. Almost every single hand goes up in the auditorium. You know, unfortunately, this is a prevalent epidemic and something that until recently our culture didn't know was going on because of the silencing mechanisms. But also our culture has been OK with just sort of letting it skirt by. And and this is what these awakenings are all about. You know, we're, we're going through massive cultural awakenings on so many different fronts right now with Black Lives Matter and, and with this Me Too movement that, that predated that. Um, I, I really, really believe that these movements this time are not going to go away, that they're actually going to stick. And, and it's why my advocacy work has really just picked up so much steam um, because people are very, very interested in solving this. Mm. And what is the next kind of phase of this cultural revolution? You know, is it eradicating NDAs and gagging orders? You yes, know? yes. So I um, almost immediately after my case, uh, the, well, the first thing I did was I wrote my book, Be Fierce, because I wanted to honor all of these women who had reached out to me who never had a voice ever. And, and when I said to them, you know, could I share your stories in this book? I thought they would say, you know, no, it's private. And Almost all of them said, would you please? And, and that signified to me that nobody else had ever cared about them. So that was my first mission. And then at the same time, I was uh, starting to try to pass laws in, in Washington, D.C., specifically to get rid of arbitration clauses in employment contracts. So there's simply stated, because it can be complex, there are two ways that we silence women, men too, but mostly women, with regard to harassment in the workplace arbitration clauses in employment contracts and NDAs. So what companies have gotten very smart about is that they put these arbitration clauses in the contracts, which means that if you have any kind of dispute, that you can't go to an open jury process, that you will be stuffed into this secret chamber called arbitration. And the reason that that is so detrimental to women is because it's secret. So hypothetically, Let's say you finally get the courage to go to human resources and report sexual harassment. Well, if you have an arbitration clause, they go, nobody will ever know about this. And then they shove you into arbitration where you don't get the same amount of witnesses. You get no depositions. There are no appeals. You got a bunch of old white guys, for the most part, who are the arbitrators who I don't know what they know about sexual harassment, but probably not as much as a jury of your peers. And they're hired many times by the company for repeat business because they found in favor of the company before. (laughs) Does it sound fair yet? And so then you might get some sort of a paltry settlement. But the real kicker is the perpetrator gets to stay on the job because nobody knows about it. And you never work again. Because now when you go out to try and get a job, You can't tell your future employer why you left your last job because it was secret. And so you can't also have that company give you a reference. So now now the the new company thinks, oh, she must have done something really bad. Unbelievable. So these these women don't work again. So 
that's what I was doing for a very long time, still doing, is trying to pass a law to to make companies not have the ability to do that. And then that morphed into every day is a new beginning for me. <laughs> um, never know what, what to expect. But that morphed into also including non-disclosure agreements um, as the second way that we silence women. And that is how I created my new nonprofit, Lift Our Voices, last December, to really form an organization to put an umbrella over all of the advocacy work that I was doing. And I think it's really worth noting that's how you were able to go public because you, or I mean, you haven't spoken about it publicly, but because you sued Roger Ailes personally, as opposed to Fox News, that's how you got out of the arbitration section. Also want to just note that NDAs were kind of invented in the 70s, I believe, for tech companies who were trying to protect trade secrets. It's completely outrageous that companies now think it's legitimate and okay to gag women who, you know, complain about sexual harassment or discrimination or what have you. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And do you know what's even more ridiculous? It's it's when media companies do it. Uh, Media companies who are set up on the premise of being in favor of freedom um, of speech. Uh, So yes, I I think you're onto something there, Gretchen, with your work. So I I really wish you success with that. Thank you. And and thanks for mentioning the, the trade secrets, because we're not asking for uh, companies to not have NDAs for for everything. I mean, of course, companies have proprietary information. Like, I'm not asking McDonald's to give up their Big Mac recipe, right? I mean, or like some nuclear company to give up their nuclear codes, or or inside polling information about a politician. Of course, you you employees have to sign on to not disclosing information that could harm a corporation. But as you mentioned. These clauses have been abused to also be used for human indecency. And, and there was never an intent for that. It's become very convenient for companies to use arbitration and NDAs to hide their dirty laundry. That's how they have, that's how they've been able to look so pristine for the last 30 to 40 years and say, oh, we don't have any sexual harassment cases. We don't have any gender discrimination cases. And well, no, the real answer is that the general public doesn't know about it because you've been hiding it under arbitration and NDAs. Exactly. Um, before I, I go on to my kind of last section of the fix and what solutions you've come up with, Gretchen, which I know you have done, um, let's do some myth busting. Um, because what you clearly portrayed to the world was that, you know, it's not shrinking violets and kind of weak women, in inverted commas, who, you know, get sexually harassed or discriminated against in the workforce. It's pervasive throughout. Um, and, and I think you really illustrated that. And it was quite powerful, you know, that it was it was you, a person with a, a, a voice uh, um, and influence and power that, that went through this for so long. So is there any other myths that we would like to bust here while, while, we're, while we're at it? Yeah, um, there's so many. Uh, listen, that the people who come forward are automatic troublemakers, um, that strong women, that this doesn't happen to strong women. I mean, that just drives me bonkers. I mean, I, I just talk to my parents and my husband. <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you. They wish I wasn't such a strong woman. It's not about that, you know, and it's not even I even think that uh, Eric, maybe it was Eric Trump, one of the sons of President Trump said that it would never have happened to Ivanka, you know, because she's such a strong woman. It has nothing to do with that. I mean, she yeah, she ran a great business. And I'm not saying anything bad about that. Um, I've interviewed her a million times. It's just it's a myth that it's, you know, power can still be held over strong women. And you might even argue that 
the higher you go in a corporation, it's even worse because they know that you want to continue to rise up the ladder, right? So that's a huge myth. The idea that that if we uh, start talking so openly about this, that um, that there'll just be so many lawsuits in the world, you know, if we take away arbitration and we take away NDAs. No, actually, if you take away those things, men will learn how to start behaving because they'll know that there's no shield for them anymore. Another huge myth is that, oh gosh, you know, now that we've become woke, we can't invite women out to business dinners anymore because, oh my God, they might sue us, right? No, men know how to act appropriately or not. That is just a massive cop-out. Um, so there are there are so many myths. Um, oh, that women do this for fame and money. Oh yeah, really? Because it's so fun to have your entire life laid out there for people to criticize and for people to malign you on a daily basis on social media and attack your children. Like that alone would be a reason why women wouldn't come forward, not why they do come forward. Exactly. So my last question, um, Gretchen, um, to you, what can we do going forward? How can we fix this cover-up culture? You know, what can media bosses who are listening in do? What can men do? What can women do? Well, first and foremost, we, we ask members of the media who are in positions of power or any corporation for that matter to simply go to our website, liftourvoices.org and sign on our pledge, which they're going to take out NDAs in their workplace and they're going to take out arbitration clauses. I mean, listen, some companies have done it. And I always say that they're the ones who will be on the right side of history. And if you want to continue to dig in your heels and think that this is just a passing fad and that we're going to go away, well, then we'll force you to do it through legislation. So if you want to be on the right side of history and truly retain women in the workplace, which, by the way, every study shows that that increases your bottom line, and especially during COVID, 880,000 women have left the workforce in the, Amer in, in the United States of America since COVID. If you want to retain women and increase your bottom line, you must eradicate these policies so that women can finally have a fair shake. And I mean, I could go on and on, pay women fairly, promote them, give them a seat in the boardroom. They're all intertwined. Guess what doesn't happen when you put more women in power? Sexual harassment. The last thing I would say is I would implore companies to be introspective and change the way in which they handle this inside the confines of their own workplace. Get rid of the old school method of woman comes forward, oh, got to get rid of her. No, set the tone from the top that you're not going to tolerate that kind of behavior, that you're actually going to celebrate women and men who come forward, and you're going to do an independent investigation. And if the claims are proven to be true, you are going to fire the predator and you're going to keep the woman working because of all the women I've spoken to over the last four years, that's all they want. They want to keep working in a job and not being harassed. There's so much that leaders can do, but those are just a few of the very important things. Well, that's absolutely brilliant, Gretchen. And I'm going to add one in for the crack. <laughs> but I think men need to call out bad behavior as well. Oh, please. Thank you so much. Yes. We need men as our allies. Yes, as well. yes. It's so important. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for coming on the Media Tribe podcast. I am so grateful. I know so many women listening to this podcast are so grateful, you know, especially in our industry. Um, you've done us all a huge service. So thank you sincerely. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. 
If you have experienced discrimination at work and have been forced to enter a non-disclosure agreement, go to lifthervoices.org to learn more about Gretchen's mission. Also, if there are other big topics you'd like me to tackle on the Media Tribe podcast, get in touch at Shauna with the GH on Twitter or at Shauna Kinnear again with the GH on Instagram. As ever, thanks a million for tuning in and please do leave me a rating and review. See you soon. This episode is edited by Ryan Ferguson.